I would ring my dad up sometimes and I would say, dad, dad, right? So um, I'm going to do this talk and they're going to fly me over to London because uh, <laughs> I was living at Prague in Prague at the time. Uh, they're going to pay for the hotel, all this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and he say, but Rich, can you eat it? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Craig Burgess. I'm co-owner and creative director of Genius Division based in Barnsley in the UK. Hi, I'm Richard Baird, founder and editor of BP&O. I, I wanted to touch upon uh, um, this profile versus capital thing in terms of uh, promotion. That um, promotion can fall into where, where you get more work, which is capital. And uh, promotion that builds profile, which is... Um, how people perceive you in the industry um, and that you kind of have to decide the, the ideal point is the synergy between the intersection between the two that you build your profile and your reputation in the industry. And that sort of filters out into across sort of mm -hmm. other, other industries or whatever, and you make money. Yeah. Um, I've never mastered that. <laughs> and um, I, I would, I would ring my dad up sometimes and I would say, dad, dad, right? So um, I'm going to do this talk and they're going to fly me over to London because uh, <laughs> I was living at Prague in Prague at the time. Uh, they're going to pay for the hotel, all this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and you say, but Rich, can you eat it? <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, uh, there were a few different things where I would say that and he would say, well, can you eat it? And what he meant was that, well done, you're, you're building profile, but are you making money from it? Can you pay your rent from it? And I said, well, no. And it's like, try, try and find a, a point where you can get where both in harmony, where you're making yeah. money and you're doing this sort of profile building and you're enjoying it at the same time and you're surviving. And I think that's a kind of a, a important question for people promoting, trying to promote themselves is, what is it that you're trying to do? Are you raising a profile in the industry? Or are you making, intending to try and make some money from it? And can you find that bit in between? It's harder for me to apply that to, say, students coming out of uni because mostly that's, I understand that, that they probably want to find jobs, right? And particularly now, it's more, it's tougher than ever. Um, I haven't really gone through that process because I, I went straight into self-employment um, and the promotion was slightly different I hate saying back then, but it was <laughs> 2005. Um, well, imagine but, now I can only sympathize and not actually understand, but imagine 15 years now, if we were starting as a designer today, the market is is a completely different situation. I mean, th there was a lot of designers 15 years ago, but now anybody can be a designer and anyone can pretend to be a designer and anybody can get a job from it. It must be so tough now. Absolutely. And you, there are so many different platforms that offer this, what I call um, potential social capital. This isn't something that I made up myself. I pulled it from somewhere else. Um, it's where the platform, such as Instagram, Pinterest, or Twitter, promises you that in return for your time, we will raise your profile, that you will acquire more people. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a promise that's rarely fulfilled. Um, you see people with a lot of followers and you think, okay, if I put more time into this, then I will eventually have a lot more followers. And then you will be able to convert that into capital. Um, you productize your following. Uh, you sell them. As I do, I sell them zines. <laughs> um, but it's a promise. And so few times is that promise delivered on and you just need to work out where is the best place in which you can you're not exploited so the 365 days of type on instagram instagram you only have one outbound profile link um, it's a closed system so you're basically uploading content for them uh, on the promise of maybe getting some kind of reach and someone will find you who's looking for design services, blah, blah, blah. It's so hidden. You don't know how to work the system out. All you can do is give yourself a amount of time and do it. 
and see how well it goes and 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 see if someone picks up on that um but it, yeah it's a nightmare that 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 it's you're promised so much now um yeah. that it that it, it's it's very disheartening to see a lot of people um emailing me please please can you promote my work and then looking at their work and no one ever telling them okay this is this is some feedback on your work and it will please focus on developing your work instead of trying to get other people to promote it because of it, its current standard or uh, thinking that you may struggle to get that reach that you're hoping for and the feedback you know the feedback bit is the bit that feedback. we're missing massively yeah. And and of course it's it's the time on on the the people that have built profiles that may help you do that. There are also um, like ducks on a pond. You know they look all calm and they're floating around, and they you might think that they're making money. There might be a perception of success, but their feet are paddling so hard because Instagram is playing with their reach every day. Sometimes. You know, the post goes out to a thousand people. Sometimes it goes out to thirteen thousand people. They they give a give and then they take away again because they want you to sort of pay for promotion. So even people with profiles and they seem like they're successful uh, profile or capital, really we're just jogging our feet, uh, uh, kicking our feet under the water hard, trying to sustain it uh, in a system that is actually built for larger corporations to push their sponsorship across i think one of the the ultimate thing that we've got to come back to in terms of promoting yourself no matter what method you go for and there's lots of ways to promote yourself which i think we should probably mention at some point but i I think it, it ultimately comes back to the work and presenting your work in a way that studios and people who might end up hiring you understand so I I, th- I always think there's something I always remember from my first boss at the place that I was working. My uh, my first boss who was running the studio that designed stuff to a price list. He's a really good designer, and he'd started this studio with another partner who believed in the model. Um, so I always really looked up to him, and I still do. And he and he always said when he was interviewing designers because because obviously the rate of the work that they put out. Uh, it wasn't for every kind of designer, so the people moved on quite a lot, so they hired a lot of designers. And one of the things that always struck me, and it's the thing that I've always looked for, is he looks not for the amount of work, so he's not looking to see a lot of different work, to see how good of a designer they are. He's looking to see their commercial opinions, so how they can commercialise the design. He wants to see, if he only sees one project, he doesn't want to see just a logo he wanted to see a logo and then how it was commercialized across a corporate identity and then how it might be applied to um, a website maybe and a deeper understanding not just a a kind of surface level understanding not just designing the logo which is the cool fun bit but actually designing the entire system and proving that you are a commercial designer and not just somebody who just does the nice bits yeah that's a good point my when what I would be looking for if I was, and I have hired on occasion for freelance stuff is that it's the most important thing is this kind of um, central idea from which everything flows from. Um, it could be a proposition. It could be a, a, a brand statement and it's unique to that company captures the sentiment of the the corporate culture, their vision for the future, and that you can see that reflected in every piece of communication. And that means in the choice of words, uh, in the color palette, materiality, in the way you move through their website. So when, and that's what I want to see, right, is that sort of central premise and seen that deployed in many, many different ways, rather than this sort of uh, designer fun logo, or, because that challenge is it's, it's contained, it's understandable, and then create a color palette, and then choose two typefaces, and then choose some materials. That, that, that's not, to me, what corporate branding is. Corporate branding is, is that sort of distillation of, of, um, of an intention. Um, I want to see that 
expressed in appropriate ways in the appropriate contexts, not um, here's, a, here's a logo, this is why the logo looks like this, here's the color palette, this is why I chose the logo. It should all come back to that central conceit. Um, and I see, you see that very rarely. Um, and, and of course, that also says that we have this central conceit um, and this will give them legs for 15 years. They'll be able to use this to do art direction. Um, they, they can use this central idea in, in moving image or to in advertising campaigns that you're not constraining them with the, you've done your colors, your logos, and you've set the brand guidelines and then you've given it. It's like, what is the idea that you've given them to play with in the future to hand their advertising agency or other designers? It's not being dogmatic. It's, it's like a liberation, right? That you've given them something to get behind, but it's not prescribed. It's saying this can be interpreted in a few different ways. And that's the beauty of the idea. But I don't really get that in, in the portfolio of young designers. And it's not the design craft I'm looking for, right? It's like that thinking. Um, did you understand the brief and did you create something from which everything can flourish? Yeah, I, th I think the design craft bit can be proven quite easily. You just need to see a couple of pieces of work. It's the understanding of, you know, the creative thinking and to an extent, the wit behind the, uh, the work as well. That you need to fully understand because hiring a, a technically brilliant design doesn't necessarily mean that the work is going to be good it just might be technically brilliant mm. and, and but that that can also um elevate a design company right if they're missing an element of design craft and they want to introduce it into the studio i, I think that can work but i'm not sure whether you can necessarily teach ideas um you can teach design craft. I, I believe that um, I've taught myself some degree of design craft from nothing. I, I can look back at the work from 15 years ago and think you knew nothing about design principles and now you know a little bit. Um, whereas ideas, I think you, you're either a, a sponge that just goes out looking for ideas, reading all sorts of things, sociology, anthropology, history, um, just everything you're just hungry for everything or uh, and then you can draw from lots of different sources and, and construct ideas um, but without that sort of input um, and I never really read outside of design until maybe five years ago where what I was looking for was something that was had a really strong central idea of what they wanted to readers to experience and understand. And it was beautifully constructed in that I just wanted to read every idea that was in the magazine. And um, I don't know whether you've read real review, but no. that had such a fundamental impact on the way I understood the world that I would get a bit of politics. I would get a bit of anthropology, sociology, a bit of meta narrative, um, abstract thinking and it just it was so beautifully presented that I was all in mm. and it just made me hungry for ideas outside of design and and that was led into the architecture thing is that I could now have a conversation with an architect with the language that they knew um, and although I was just a layman that we that we were connecting in a way that perhaps they wouldn't be able to connect with um, another designer who hadn't perhaps read that. So in terms of self-promotion, that would be read anything and everything, try and find things to bring into de to design and um, yeah. so that you can have a, and, and if you're having a conversation with an architect, it doesn't have to be about architecture. It could be sociology or politics or the politics of space um, where they're, they're like, this person is thinking a bit, bigger than structure mm. um lateral thinking it's it yeah. lateral thinking that, that i think that's the thing that sets a, a, a good designer from a, an amazing designer being able so to, the capacity to make connections right where there wasn't on before yeah and i think anything that you read outside of design ultimately just makes you a better designer because because you've got all these other cultural influences that you can apply to the work that you that you're doing and the the work 
The connections might not be immediate and you might never actually make them, obviously, but you'll be consuming it and you'll, it will be making your work better. One of the things that I've always really admired, I've always secretly wanted to be an ad man, so like an old school ad man, because I just, I love words. I love writing. I, I, it's one of the things that I've always enjoyed doing and I've never done it very much publicly, but it's something I've always been really passionate about and I love reading and I love writing. And I've always looked to all the big ad men, the old ad men like Ogilvy and George Lewis, uh, George Lois, sorry. And I love the simplicity in their work and the genius behind it. And that just, that I, I've applied a lot of that stuff in the kind of design things that I've done because either it's, it's a different industry, but there's a lot to cross over with it. And there's a lot of graphic people in that industry too, but the the art of copywriting is something that can be brought over. And then other things that I read a lot about is stoicism and things like that, which has a lot of value in design too. But for my first probably five years in design, I read nothing like that. I, I, I exclusively read everything about design. I was obsessed with reading every design blog, every magazine, every single thing I could get my hands on, following every designer on Twitter, and I think that's just as you, as your kind of tastes mature as well as you, you get a bit further into it. You you want to. It's like music, isn't it? When it, when I was a teenager, I love rock music and never listened to anything else. And then as you get older, your your tastes want to mature and you start to look into other places for inspiration. Yeah, the, the, and there's always those touchstones where if you're entering into an industry, you you want to centralize yourself because you, you're essentially on the periphery wanting to move towards the center and the center being the institutional components. So uh, DNAD awards, uh, design studios with high profiles, um, individuals that are actually saying things that are driving the industry forward. So um, that's the way I sort of perceive the journey of a, a new designer is that sort of move from the periphery to the center. And at the center, you, there are, uh, as I said, like touchdown. So for when I was growing up or when I was entering design, there was the printed design week, computer arts, computer arts projects. I really wanted to be in that. Um, and, and these sort of helped me keep my eye on sort of moving in. But there's a point where it actually, the journey is like a, like a loop or a, it's pre prescribed, right? That, they use the same kind of conversation or like the top 10 logo tips articles where you've read it so many times that there is no more to learn about it, right? There are some principles, some I ha perhaps don't want to use this word, but say uh, truths in design or principles, foundational principles that do continue to work. But once you've learned them, it's you, you actually kind of stop growing in that move towards the center so you start to look further afield and um, you realize there's the venn diagram where there is design and then there are all of these things overlapping design um and and you see and, and i think that's the beauty of today is that the conversations about uh systems design or uh um design in politics um that design is this sort of fundamental or is the construct of, of what we're, we're living in. And there's lots of different things that you can learn from. And, and so sometimes you realize that actually design is used disingenuously to exploit people. Sometimes it's uh, empowering. Um, it, it rallies groups of people and symbols. Um, uh, uh, they just keep recurring, right? Where you get the uh, extinction rebellion symbol, and you and for me, I'm so far away from logo design that I'm more interested in corporate identity programs and publishing, whatever. But then there's something like that, and you're reminded actually a strong, uh, distinctive, memorable logo rallies groups of people, and it can have a really positive impact. And I like that. And it's going outside of the flat today and seeing someone had made a homemade poster 
uh, just to help the block to remind them to wash their hands and to keep their distance. And they were using symbols that they pulled off and they decided which symbol they might have gone on to Google and said the washing hands symbol and they'd chosen it and they made their own choice about it. Uh, that it affects everybody. And, and I think it's fascinating to sort of cross over into differing areas and, and uh, um, and that will help with promotion. Right? But again, it goes back to you can have conversations that are a bit more uh, diverse and richer and, and bring people into your view and that you're always open to new ideas and you can employ that in your work. I think that there's a couple of different levels to promotion, isn't there? I think when you first become a designer, so maybe you're looking for your first job, zero to... I mean, it depends on how fast you work and how quick you build a profile, but maybe zero to three years, you should be networking with people. And I don't think you should ever stop networking with people, but your your primary focus should be networking with people, getting to know people, and definitely using Twitter. Twitter's great for that. Getting to know people, getting to know the industry, getting to know people's work, understanding the whole landscape, which we kind of discussed. And then I, I think maybe at year three, uh, maybe year three, three to five, you can start to look at building a profile. And I think there's lots of different ways you can look to build a profile. There's putting your work out there as a designer. There's promoting other people's work, so building a, a BPNO type thing. And then there's kind of the other ways about making really good content or starting a blog or being really good at Twitter, all, all those kind of things. But I, I think... I think it comes back to the the thing we touched on last time as well about people when they first enter the industry. This isn't exclusive to design anymore. People wanting to rush to being a creative director, even though it's their first year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, people one year in in the industry and they're a creative director. People wanting to rush to the end result rather than appreciating the slow process and the build up of skills and the, the getting better. And I I think people are looking for ways to create a BPNO or create a, a logo archive that's got 150,000 followers. Those things weren't made overnight. Those things took you a long time. And not and they, and they don't generate income, right? <laughs> yeah. But I think also, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but the, the one of the final point that I want to make on that is that you started BPNO, did you say 2011? So you started BPNO in 2011. So it's, it took you from 2011 to now to get it to where it is. But there's all the experience you had previous to that, before you even started BPNO, that made that project into what it is today. So really that project is a culmination of all your experience in the entire industry. Do you know what well, I mean? Well, BPNO actually never was a culmination of previous experience, right? That I would have said when I began in 2011 that I was still the level of skills that I had was probably equal to like uh, someone studying at university. I still hadn't got it, if you will. That that maybe when I was three, four, five years into doing BPNO, was it beginning to look like a accumulation of of just um, keeping going and, and and, but also, it's BPNO is a bit more complex in that I was I was living abroad, and I didn't know many people. I was at home working from home a lot. I didn't have much else going on. I did have a bit of client work. That there was zero distractions. Um, I was living in a bit of a kind of fantasy world because it wasn't expensive to live in Prague. I was just doing enough work to survive that I wasn't getting any kind of um, cultural nourishment um, and I was getting a bit down. BPNO is a product of um, kind of ritualistic behavior, habit, and also it was deeply tied to my um, sense of self-esteem. I would write for four hours and I would publish it and then I was really unhappy when people wouldn't read it. Then I would be sort of elatory and, and so excited when a lot of people would share it. And this is where I'm talking about sort of Twitter and these things shaping your behaviors. That 
what I want to share with people here is that BPNO was really just a very a product of a very difficult circumstance and it was addictive and it was not healthy and the only reason it got to where it was was because I had very little else um, going on in my life um, and now I have so much more going on that I can't do it every day and and I'm happier for it and so this is the learning and what I, I would like to share with young designers is that Try lots of different projects. Don't get stuck doing that one thing, hoping that it's going to bring in more money or that you're going to live on the profile that it creates. BP No never brought in enough money. It, the profile was nice because I could talk to design studios um, and designers that I respected. And yes, it did generate a bit more work, enough to survive. But I would say that it was, I never believe in a mistake, but it's something that a line should have been drawn and a new project should have been created. Don't get stuck in doing one thing. Um, you'll just become very good at that one thing. So do you think in terms of Logo Archive and BPNO, it's had an advantage to your career as a designer? Yes, because I had no skills and by doing that over such a long period and doing it again and then again and again, it filled in the absence of education. It just took 15 years for me to get to a point that would have taken other people three years. And I don't regret it. Um, I, I live abroad and experienced something quite different there and I grew up. Um, but I... I I'm, I'm a kind of a reluctant developer um, that it takes a lot for me to get over something and move on to something new. And doing this with you, again, is like, it's quite a big jump for me to put myself in front of people. Um, that the threshold between thinking about doing something and doing something is really thin, but it's super sticky. Um, once you push through it, it suddenly reveals the... Uh, that everything else is a lot less difficult. But pushing through it is, is quite difficult, right? Because you're putting yourself out there and you, people are going to criticize you or you're always going to open yourself up. I can't, I hid behind words with BPNO, but I can't really hide here. Um, and that's the thing with promotion is the more you do it, the more you reveal it yourself and the more comfortable you need to be with yourself. And that just takes time, right? Yeah, Put, putting yourself out there is the just the hardest thing for anybody to do in terms of, I get that with clients as, as well. I, I suggest things to them, you know, you should do a podcast or you should do YouTube videos or cause, because I, you, you sit in that meeting with them and I'm thinking of a particular client right now. You sit in a meeting with them and you ask them one thing and they go off on a on a tangent for 10 minutes that was amazing and you're sat there thinking, damn, I wish this would have been recorded. But so you can see it, you can see the, the, the potential possibility of what they're saying, their knowledge and how it could apply to another place. But the, you say it to them and they're like, oh no, I don't want to go on YouTube. I don't want to put it out there. I, I, I don't. And, and people are, are scared of that step. This, and I've been, I've been there too. You've been there too. We spoke about it before. And I think that's the thing that stops most designers from promoting themselves they get to a level like I did that I was talking about at the beginning. You try a thing, it starts to get a little bit of traction and then you pull yourself back because you don't want to reveal yourself to the public. And we think... Also, sorry? The, the, there's also the problem of um, that being shaped by the platform that YouTube has. Um, and for me, that's it's really sad how it's reshaped graphic design into this um, entertainment thing. Um, it shapes the content of what designers can talk about on graphic design. They'll regularly just talk, do a show on logo design because this is the most the, the thing, the content that can be consumed the easiest, that it has the broadest appeal. And then it has to be, it has to be seen as fun and entertaining. Um, 
it, it, it's not a space that encourages um, conversation about um, strategy. Um, it doesn't encourage designers to say, actually, we designed the logo um, at the very last minute in five minutes because we felt that the time um, and value was best served by spending time on a website. Designers, you're a young designer, you don't want to hear that, that strategy is an essential part because it seems so hard, whereas you want to go on YouTube and be entertained. And it also creates uh, a, a, a cult of personality where to do well on YouTube as a graphic designer, you need to have a personality that, uh, I don't know, it's, it's fun, convivial, um, <laughs> outgoing, and yeah. to do well. So we're putting these on YouTube. I'm just being myself. And this will get X number of views and comments and people will either be interested or disinterested. And I just want to make sure that we stay true to who we are rather than changing ourselves to suit the platform that we want more people to see this. So we need to be funnier and more entertaining and talk about logo design. We're still actually being shaped by it because we're having to talk about promotion, yeah. money, that in order for us to uh, gain some degree of sort of uh, interest that we still need to fold into these kind of subheadings. Um, that if we um, talked about, if the, just I pull this out of anywhere, like transitional objects in terms of um, books and the design of books, and that transitional object comes from psychology, and you put that in a title, it's just <laughs> not appealing, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. what on earth does this mean? Does it, does it matter to me? So I think for you and I, we are enjoying these conversations and we'll put them out. But I don't, I'm not going to become like, I won't be measured by it in the way that BPNO began to shape me on sort of clicks and shares. Um, I'm glad I moved past that. Um, I'm, I just hope that people find this interesting and hope that I, I speak about it in a sensible and real way that um, I, I connect with them um, rather than being an entertainer or worrying about sort of reach and, and potential social capital. Yeah, I, th I think to to give people hope on that, because, because some, some it's really difficult not to get pulled into the likes and the shares and the retweets and the followers and things like that. And to some extent, people do get pulled into that. And if it's the first thing that they're doing, they're, they're going to get pulled into that. And I think your your stories and output on that will help people. But I think one of the shining lights on this is to just say, even if your work doesn't get a bunch of views, it still has value because when you come to promote yourself to a client or they look at your website and they see that you're making videos about design and they might watch one or two of them, they go, oh, this is interesting. And it might only be one client that ends up viewing it, but that's all the promotion you needed. It's proven that you are an expert in your field, that you understand intricately what you're talking about, and it gives you just that extra boost above the kind of where we're at. I think we've got to be careful when we're talking about promotion to not just talk about promoting ourselves to other designers just for the sake of increasing our reach in the design world there is well the, well the designers can be a catalyst so we talk about reach is that you can you use designers to catalyze your reach so all of these big design studios like pentagram have they essentially use um, designers as a base in order to catalyze reach so the first people to respond to pentagram's work will be designers and then the algorithms read that as popular and they start serving out to a broader group of people. That's where the clients are, is that broader group of people. So I understand what you're saying, but in order to get that sort of reach going, it can be helpful to engage the designers because they're most involved in uh, what the work is doing. And that's why self-promotion and client agenda is interwoven and i've heard that firsthand mm -hmm. um where i've heard um 
in a in a brochure it's like this is the 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 spread that we will take a picture of and we will promote on instagram and i even think about that i have i have a brochure at the moment and i know which pages i will photograph or would want to share with the community and some of them not um i think that it's it's naive to think that um individual self-promotion is exclusive from client briefs what so one thing we didn't really touch on is the money thing ah yeah yeah money (laughs) so you've got a a big following on instagram for logo archive one hundred fifty thousand or something and and then what i perceive from the outside to be a big following for bpno as well and you've got quite a few followers on twitter on various accounts does it turn into actual money or what what's your kind of opinions on that no it doesn't um bpno um the bigger it gets the more expensive it costs to run so the um if you want your content to be served quickly you need a cdn um that just means that um the computers that are serving the website uh is closer to the people that are asking to see the website so a cdn is like um putting your website, storing it in New York, for instance, so that everyone in America can access your, your website quickly. That has a price. Um, you're, um, if you're having 200,000 visitors a month, you need the server to be able to serve that many people quickly. That's expensive. So the, the more traffic you get, the more expensive it becomes. And so at one point, I just had to put an advert a tiny little carbon ads in the corner because it was starting to cost me 150 pounds uh, to actually sustain it. Um, and that's not with the four hours I was doing every day on the site. Yes, I would get work from it. People would say, I read um, your piece on BPNO. Um, I know it's not your work, but we like the way you're thinking about design. So I can't say I'm very bad at so this is a good promotional tip. And my girlfriend says I should do it all the time is when the client work comes in, ask them where it came from, where they came from. Mm. I'm so rubbish at doing Me that. Too. <laughs> so you can quantify what's working and what's not working. Yeah. Um, and then when, when BPNO has taken a downturn and I'm not publishing as, and, as often and the, the ad clicks go down is that's when BPNO starts costing me money to run. And you start to do it because you love doing it. Instagram is a completely different beast. There's zero money from it unless you can start productizing your content. Logo archive is quite difficult. I could have done tote bags, mugs, but it wouldn't have felt right because it's not my work. Mm. It's a kind of organizational, institutional approach where I'm just collating it in order for more people to see it and understand it. Um, The zines... That only came about because I I needed to make money, but I wasn't prepared to do the posters and the the logo books because they just felt like there was enough logo books in the world. Logo Modernism had done a fantastic job in collating, uh, what do they have, like 2,000, 5,000. What is it that I could do that would change the relationship between the content and the reader and format, if you change the format and the regularity of the format um, and you put fewer logos in, it goes from utility to a materially, um, or what we say, like um, the, the material object synergizes with the craft of the content within, right? That you're saying, here are 25 logos. I've chosen them because I think they're beautiful examples of this theme and that I presented them in a way that honors that content. It took three years for me to get to a point where I felt I had something that moved the conversation forward or changed the way people related to those logos. To me, the logo book is a utility that you pull out when you need some inspiration. Logo Archive in its ongoing series is about building a toolbox of techniques in which designers can employ. And by doing it every so often that they're having, they're being, this connection is being renewed rather than the one-off object that was getting put, in, put into the bookcase. So for me, monetization 
it has always been a problem that I never wanted to exploit um, with BPO the work of other design studios. Um, I was happy to take client work off the back of um, an understanding that I had about design, but I never wanted to feel like I was cheating anybody and saying, this is my work. And that's the problem with Instagram is you've got a lot of these Insta blogs where they're saying, we supply design services, but they're actually their platform is based on other people's work. And I think that's a real problem for me is that if you're not, if, if you're going to publish other people's work and put your services ahead of their um, credits, that is real exploitation, right? Um, and then with Instagram, it's, it's just, it's, you've got to create products um, that there's no other way to really, to, to monetize Instagram. What do you think you'd do now if you were to start as a designer to promote yourself? <laughs> if if I if what if I if I didn't know all that I've known, or if I had what all I if I if BPNO was taken away from me and Logarco was taken away from me, but I still had this knowledge, how would I start? Or yeah. do you mean if I was literally just as strip any understanding and start now? What would I do? Oh, both. So, so, you've, if I was, so you've got no BPNO, you've got no logo archive, but you've got the knowledge that you've created from it. What would you do next right now? Understanding today's landscape. Yeah, I'm not I'm not someone that just comes up with things. <laughs> I, I would have to say, I'll tell you next uh, next episode. Yeah, well, that, that's, <laughs> that's good because we can both have a think about it. I think... My the thing I regret not doing when I started my career because I just think about it now I would have had fifteen years of posts is keeping a blog and not even just a commercial not a commercial thing not anything to do with it I just really would love to have kept a public blog from zero in my career to right now and each maybe just post once a week or something just. Just saying what's what's happening, what I've worked on, or all that kind of thing, and I would have really loved to have looked back through that right now, because I had this exact thing when I was uh, I did a HND in interactive media, which was a little bit graphic design, a little bit web, and kind of a mix of all sorts. And the the lecturer forced us to keep a weekly blog, so I had that bit of my learning as a designer kind of crystallized and it's still online now and I can still see it and I can see what I was thinking about and what I was working on and I, I kind of really do regret that I haven't done that uh, now I try but I'm still not great at it I think that's really really good advice catalog your interests what I do is even if I have a disparate thought or idea I write it down in pages on my Mac um, if I have an image I'll pin it to a board what I really would like is a single place, and the blog is probably the great way to do that, but I don't have the energy to start another <laughs> blog, as in just simply me, doing me it. But a stream of thoughts and ideas, everything is valuable. You may go back to it at some point. Just log it down. If you want to journal every day, journal every day. Just make sure that you're making notes of any small ideas that you have um, because you might be able to mix that with some later thinking and a new idea come from that. Um, I think this Insta-blogging thing is a good idea. I would say don't do what everybody else is doing and start collating other people's work. Um, if you're interested in this – is, this is the beautiful thing about Instagram. Um, the, there's someone that is posting uh, fruit sticker labels and you just reveal the beauty in something that you've never seen before. Pentagram did uh, manhole covers. If there's, a, if there's something you're interested in, document it, share it, and keep doing it. And if you have another idea, just keep doing that. And um, just keep trying new things um, because it's all sort of folds into – I never really think of BPNO and Logo Archive as disparate products. I just see them as part of a personal journey of learning, right? That I never think that Logo Archive is the, the uh, 
the end it, it's a stepping stone right it's not something that i'm going to lean into and do 20 30 issues of it's going to end the the things that i've learned from it and the things that i've learned from bp now may fold into the third project i don't know what that third project is and you basically asked me that sort of very question only that i know that doing is far better than just saying you're going to do or just thinking you're going to do it you have to do it and then move on to the next thing uh never think that you're going to create some amazing blog and going to make loads of money from it and you're going to get all the clients from it it's that is one step in a long line of steps of, of, of a long career and, and a long period of individual growth and you may change your interests and you may change your politics but um never see it like um each product as this sort of disparate thing it's all part of the continual journey yeah and then i think collating it on a website is really valuable too the one of my favorite blogs that's been around for so long is ben terrett's blog noisy decent graphics he's done it forever throughout his entire career and it's one of the first blogs i followed when i first became a designer and he's still doing it now and i still follow it and then another blog that i still read is seth godin's blog it's only only a short blog every single day but he has done it every single day for as far back as i can see i don't know how long he's been doing it but it's a very very long time and i think there's there's value in doing like you said just doing something and not worrying about the results so much not worrying about it getting popular just doing it because it it gets you outside of that headspace of thinking uh what are people going to think of me because you need to get over that as quickly as possible i think the biggest thing that's changed for in the industry in the 15 years that we've been in in it is that promotion promotion when we first started wasn't as a necessity i think you could you could still get away with it but now because everybody promotes themselves i don't think you've got a choice with promoting yourself you have to do something in some fashion you have to be cataloging your work online or have an instagram profile or have a twitter or have something to point people to to point potential employers to potential work uh, potential and the 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 cross-referencing thing right so people find you on instagram and they uh they they don't they don't really know um anything about me and then then they're like oh you also run bpno you also write about graphic design and they're just really surprised that you've done one thing and then it's uh, it's another thing and that's the thing with with promotion is that they they might access you from one point and it might just be a pinterest profile but then they jump off to a website or another thing and they're like wow this person has lots of different interests and and they've stuck at it and it and it's nicely done and that's where you sort of build up um not like a profile in the sense of um, visibility, but a profile, a character profile is this person has a lot of interests and uh, they've, they've obviously experienced a few things uh, or tried a few things. That's the kind of person people want to get involved in. Um, and going back to promotion and the, I can't remember who it's, who, they, who said it to me, but it was basically that we're now the generation that are now looking to hire designers grew up with Pinterest and Instagram. And when their bosses are saying, we need to hire a designer, they will go onto Pinterest. They will go onto Instagram. They won't necessarily go through the previous generational approach, which might be headhunters or LinkedIn. Um, you have to think about how people are hiring and what generation they're from, um, because a lot of them are picking me up from Pinterest off the back of other pins and reading about what I'm doing and seeing logo archive or whatever and thinking, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to hand over my corporate project to this guy because I just really like what they're doing. And so that I think just thinking about how businesses are looking for you or discovering new designers is good. And yeah. So we're at an hour and 45. So this is, is another, it another two, two parts. <laughs> uh, I think I want to I I leave it on one point. It's something that's always struck me. I've, do you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? So, hold on. My cat's meowing. 
<laughs> so, uh, so Gary Vaynerchuk is probably the best way to describe him is a, an online celebrity, an internet famous celebrity. And when I say that, I mean that he went from having a following online and he turned it into being one of the judges on the Apple version of Shark Tank. So Apple, you know, when Apple launched Apple TV, they started... It's like the elevator pitch or something, right? Yeah, I can't remember they, the name of it's it. It's like a, not an elevator, yeah, they, escalator yeah, pitch. Yeah, they, they, they go down. Planet of the Apps, I think that's what it's called. Planet of the Apps. Yeah, what a terrible name. <laughs> so he so he was, and, and he does a video about this as well. There was, uh, I think it might have been Will I Am, somebody really famous again, an actress, I think, and Jessica Alberon, maybe something, and then Gary Vaynerchuk. So there was three worldwide celebrity-known you know, everybody knows them. You say their name and everybody knows them. And then Gary Vaynerchuk. And I've just said his name to you and you don't know who he is. Uh, and online, he has got millions of followers across everything. And in business, he's pretty well known. Because what, what he's always done for the past 10 years is use use the internet to promote himself. So he runs a, a social media agency, basically. And to prove his worth, to prove that he knows how social media works, he turned himself into an online celebrity by creating content. And one of the things that's always struck me with him, uh, and he, he's, he's got a very strong personality and some people don't, don't like him, but I think that works to his advantage. He was the person who came up with a whole hustle culture and working harder and hustle, 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 and you've got to be working all the time. And it kind of grates with some people. But one thing he always said in one of his videos that struck me was about creating your own TV channel. So now he realised that there's a video of me online somewhere where he holds up his phone like this and he says, this is the TV now. And I, I realised this before everybody else, that this is the TV. And he talks about how to promote yourself. And the thing about creating your own TV channel and basically making your own portion of the internet that people come to, to see you in whatever medium that might be, that might be a blog, that might be videos or whatever, but it's always struck me that little piece of advice about creating your own TV channel. It doesn't have to be hugely popular, but you ca carve out a little bit of the web that is yours, which you've done with BPNO and Logo Archive, that you can set your own terms and promote yourself under your own angle. And I think that's a really valuable way of promoting yourself and it gives you that safe space as well to be who you are in your own space and attract people in from there. Absolutely. That's a fantastic way to end it. Yeah. <laughs>